This is Omo. 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 Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Omo. The romance and reality of all things violin. I'm Jerry Lynn coming to you today from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. My co-host for this episode is Elizabeth Perry. Liz, how's things? Things are good. I'm coming to you guys from Warren, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. Detroit. That sounds foreboding. <laughs> you know, actually, when I first moved here... Um, I, I mentioned to someone that it was the first time I'd seen a car on fire. Like, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, on the side, I was I was driving on the freeway. On the side of the freeway, there was a car on, on fire. And, like, it just seemed so surreal. And I was telling this guy about it. He'd lived here this whole, you know, his whole life. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, me and our kids. So, like, we have we have Detroit bingo. Oh, man. Well, some you know? parts of the country, they've got couches on fire. You know, like if your sports team wins <laughs> or loses, you you have a porch couch and you set that on fire. Wait, really? Yeah, it's a, a thing. thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. <gasps> so anyhow, uh, welcome to part three of a series we're calling Project Blue Book, where we talk about the impact of the Visar Shipman Repair Book, uh, the impact that has had on the trade. The title for this episode, what's the title for this episode, Liz? Going Beyond the Blue Book. Or just Beyond the Blue Book. Oh, Sounds yeah, so I like that better. Beyond the Blue Book. Beyond. So for this episode, um, we could have found somebody who was maybe kind of like our age to talk about the new, the modern, the more advanced things that's going on in the trade with violin restoration. However, I thought to myself beyond the blue book, I thought it'd be great to talk to someone or some ones who have gone through the Visar shop because uh, Visar had a lot of great people working for him at one point. Uh, Bruce mm -hmm. Carlson came through there, Paul Siegfried, I think Boyd Paulson, Dave Burgess, uh, lots and lots of cool people. And I thought it'd be really cool to talk to somebody who, or somebodies who went through and they kept on going, kept doing really awesome repair work, really awesome restoration, and really contributed to a lot of what we have today, more conservative thinking, more. So like rooted, rooted in the tradition that this book started and sort of the yeah. evolution that comes out of that, like came out of it, at least from yeah. their perspective. Yeah. From their perspective. And so the only real choice that I, I thought of that whom of who we could talk to and the only really fun choice was <laughs> Joe Gruba and Sigrun Seifert. And spoiler, uh, Liz and I have already talked to them at the point that we're, that we are recording this. So, Liz, what was it like talking to them? It was so incredible. 
um, to just to have the pleasure of um, of chatting with them. And uh, it was really, really neat to see sort of their banter together. They obviously um, work really well together. Yeah, they've raised they've raised a family and they've yeah. worked together. That just is amazing. They still tolerate each other. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And they seem to really enjoy each other. I, you know, when I was thinking about dating someone, I specifically oh, yeah. did not want to date someone in the trade. Like, no, you know, and I didn't marry someone in the trade. You know, I just, yeah, no, no, thank you. No. I didn't want that no, to be my you. life. Yeah. You know, the only yeah. thing to talk about. Yeah. So kudos, Joe and Sigrun, kudos to you guys for, first of all, being amazing guests. And we hope you'll come back. We really, really hope oh, we, yes, that you'll come back. Uh, so please, someday, if you ever have something you want to talk to us about, reach out. We'd love to have you on. So the the scene, you guys, uh, to, paint a, to paint the picture for you, uh, it's evening in their shop. They have a little dog. So cute. One of the traditions that they have, so they know what day of the week it is, they have a cocktail <laughs> depending on the evening. So they know what day it is. And uh, when we were recording this, it happened to be gin and tonic night. So the gin and tonics were flowing. There was a dog. Great fun was had by all. And uh, they just kept going. We started talking with them. And just so much loveliness just came forth. So you're going to hear this. Uh, we had actually had a hard time starting the interview. You're going to hear a little bit of the, the pre-interview banter that happened. Mm -hmm. So after the break, we'll be right back with Joe and Zagrin. Hello, Homo sapiens. I have with me Jackson Maberry, maker of the most potent fiddle sauces on the market, J.G. McIntosh Rosinate Oil Varnishes. Happy to be here with you all. Thank you for having me. I use this regularly. It is on my workbench all the time. I use it with varnish and touch-up work. It's great for a sealing layer between touch-up colors. Now, where can I find this stuff? The only place to, to buy uh, the Dr. McIntosh finishes is at Wood Finishing Enterprises. So it's woodfinishingenterprises.com. That's the one. I've got it open right now. So tell me how to find your stuff. Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to sort of find your way to um, the Dr. McIntosh products. In the product categories, you can go to coating and finishing materials. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see a subheading that really speaks to people like you and me. It says products for violin makers. I see it. So okay. you'll see all of the, the Dr. McIntosh stuff there, the tintura, mm -hmm. the ground, and mm -hmm. the color varnishes. Oh, and there's like resins and turpentines in here as well. Almost anything you could ever want. Yeah. If I just want to find your stuff. So the easiest way to do it is that search bar in the top of the woodfinishingenterprises.com. If you were just to yeah. type in Macintosh, that's M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H into the search bar and hit enter, all of my products will pop up right there. Okay, great. And you've got several different varieties as far as colors. I, I'm using the clear all the time. I would highly recommend getting the varnish thinning agent if you make a purchase here, just to keep everything at the right consistency. It's good stuff out there, guys. 
go to woodfinishingenterprises.com. You can just type in Macintosh up at the top and find what you need for your bench monkey practice. All right. Thanks, guys. Next time you're traveling through the Twin Cities, you'd be dull as a used fingerboard plane to miss visiting House of Note. Located in St. Louis Park, you'll find the people of House of Note taking care of players at every level from the beginner student to the Minnesota Orchestra performer. Don't you know? House of Note has built their reputation over the years on being kind, fair, and honest. Pop in and you're likely to find Jeff picking out hairs for a bow rehair, while nearby Lyle is getting the symmetry perfect on a cello neck set. You may find Erin carving a stellar bridge for a new violin setup while Nick perfects the fit of a soundpost patch, and Ty is putting that final polish on a new set of ebony pegs that fit just so. If you can't visit these guys in person, check out houseofnote.com where you can view a wide selection of bows and showroom instruments or sign up for an instrument rental online. House of Note, by musicians, for musicians. There are techniques that I have seen some people do, and um, and I feel like, gosh, I wished I would be 30 years younger for me to expand yeah. into a different direction of prep work, uh, other work, because um, they, they fe- I feel at times stagnant in in, in things I'm doing. I go back to the same old thing that I know works for me yeah, or for us. So let's back up a little bit to give structure. Hi, everybody. Welcome back from our, our break. Uh, we have with us, uh, in case you haven't already figured that out, uh, Joe Grubaugh and Sigrun Seifert. Is it Seifert or Seifert? I always feel like I, I butcher your last names. Seifert. 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 Okay. Along with Liz. And uh, you've heard this lovely banter, uh, which is awesome. We are so thrilled to have them as guests. And before uh, you had mentioned about, um, you know, if you were 30 years younger, uh, how did you guys, how did you arrive at this point in time where you're, for lack of a better word, and you're going to hate me for this, kind of legends working at a shop behind your house in Petaluma, California. Where did you guys come from? Because I'm not <laughs> sure everybody necessarily, some of our listeners yeah. who are, a lot of them are, are maybe on the younger side. Where, yeah. where, how did you become you? Well, I was, I was uh, born in 1950. So in 1968, there was a draft. And the draft, I like to say, me and Dick Cheney, if, if you went to college, you could get a deferment. So I was just playing rock and roll in a rock and roll band. And I decided to major in music. And then theory and composition was really interesting to me. But the bass, and the bass went really nicely from, for, I played a little bit of electric bass, but it went very nicely in fourths, like the four bottom strings on the guitar. And and so there I was, and I did really good at it. But boy, I went into a shop in the meantime, and it was just the smells, you know, it was just like 3D, all my ADD just kicked totally into gear looking at everything. And and uh, uh, and so I worked with somebody for free for quite a while, some years, um, and then just bumped into a shop in Los Angeles asking for a job. 
and Vice Hara was there. And he was just losing oh, Bruce Carlson. And excuse me, in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, and he was just losing Bruce Carlson. And he asked me if I wanted a job. And it was just like, uh, uh, <laughs> and in the meantime. Those are some big shoes. We started, we both started in 1972, Seagren. In October, mm -hmm, in Mittenwald. And uh, I graduated school and and I was looking for my next step. And my parents would have loved me for me to to become a teacher as they were. But uh, my brother, who is a music teacher and had a violin at at a repair shop, uh, our local one, and I was supposed to get a cello from them, or from him, you know, and I was, we were visiting, and I was nosing around and asked Mr. Shuttle, you know, what it takes to be a violin maker, and um, everything, and um, in the evening at home, we were sitting together drinking wine, I'm out of the Rhineland with the wine growing region there, and my brother said, hey, Sigrun, you know, you were so interested. How about become a violin maker and you can make me a violin? And I thought about it. <laughs> and um, I applied for Mittenwald and they turned me down, saying it was full. And I said, okay, I tried. So I started school as a as a uh, education in a direction for education from children with problems and stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, during the autumn break, I got a call from Mittenwald saying they had an opening, and it was on a Friday, and I could start Monday. And my mom was so upset, because being a violin maker is not an academic thing. You're just a craftsman and you're nobody. And see, his parents are both artists. Yeah. And, and you just whittle wood and and you barely make do living, like our old violin maker that my mom. Mm. Yeah, yeah. True. I'll drink to that. Yeah. And my mom said, my brother said, go there for one semester so you won't have regrets. So I went to Mittenwald in October. And, Beautiful town. And, um, Stunning. State. And um, and then uh, Vaisa offered me a shop, a, a job in L.A., you know. Sigrid made one of those tiny violins that is perfect. It's perfect. Oh. Well, oh I, I remember her. I remember coming to yeah. New York, and I had this little fiddle with me. It wasn't varnished yet. It was a present for my parents as a thank you. And... Uh, Jacques Francais saw it and said, I have to buy so you come back and work yeah. for us, you know, and I thought, <laughs> you know, so, so that was nice to know that I had already something in the back. But I think Hans was a, for me, Hans was the perfect place to go because uh, um, I, I didn't know what a plane was. I had to buy a book on what a hand plane was. Um, my, the, my first guy didn't know an awful lot. Um, it was clever. I think his lack of training maybe fit me wanting to self-educate, you know, and find out for myself. Mm -hmm. And then going to Fisar, where Sigrun was, she had already been there a year, mm -hmm. um, was, it was just so many things. 
Um, and and then he also is a re- was a really good person to work with. If I, oh gosh, he was he would tune in the same way that I always asked Sigrun for help if she was downstairs. Um, to, Hans was to the help same me way with a, with a job, and Hans did the same thing. Yeah. He would he wouldn't tell you he wouldn't do what you what he thought you should do. He stood back and let you do, and then just helped. And that's a there's kind of a gift of doing that. That's really difficult. Yeah, I've got a good friend. I have a hard time hugging, afraid that one of us is going to poke the other in the eye because they went around left instead of right. You know, he's come and said, you know, come on, Joe, we can do this now. And I say, no, I want to wait until Segrin gets home. No, come on, we can do it. No, I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm going to wait. <laughs> Just because we know each other's moves and we're thinking, mm-hmm. but not butting in. When we're thinking of a how to do something as a repair, we will frequently throw really stupid ideas at each other. And then I'll say something stupid and Sigrun will misunderstand me and repeat it. And it's like, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I should have said because <laughs> that's a better idea. But we're, we're kind of allowed those, those let's, let's think differently. Let's, let's come at this differently um, you know, Hans taught us also yeah. to kind of not just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Uh, Jerry, you were there, I think, when Rene was there explaining how he lowered the arching of a Pietro Guarneri of Mantua. Ooh. Do you remember that? I know. I, I'm familiar with the story, but that, that predates me. He did. And, and uh, Guy and I were there. Guy Rebu and I were there. And, and Rene, you know, uh, Rene was good. And he was, uh, uh, everyone loved working with him and he was a lot of fun there. But when he left, uh, Guy and I got up on the board and wrote some do's and don'ts. And don't number one is don't lower the arching of a Pietro Guarneri of Mantua. <laughs> just don't do it. Let's back up just a little bit. Uh, so this this episode that we're recording is the third in a series of um well, it, it's, I believe this is the 35th year of the Vicar book. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you guys is because you came out of that shop and you, you kind of kept on, on going. And one of the things that I think gets lost when people look at that book is, um, you know, it's kind of this, this rigid thing. But when I hear you guys talk about your, your time with Hans and other people who went through that shop, uh, it seemed like Hans was was much more fluid. He was yeah. more interested in critical thinking. Yes. Is that is that a fair assessment? That's, that's, that's totally. the best way to put it. When Joe came here to do his shop, he had some ideas about tools that we could use. Hans said, "Here's a check. Go and yeah. get it. Go get it. Go and get it." Some and of the stuff is in his book. The yeah. the adjustable instead of a plain blade to for pulling purfling through. I said, "Why don't we get a?" a good joiner plane frog and mount that. And then we can have all three adjustments just like that up, down, sideways. And, 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 and he was, a he was immediately on for that. He also encouraged us to come up with a better way of doing something. Um, well, the, the beginning too, when he started writing about the book, yeah, your, we were, first, your first yeah. baseball, what was it? No, it was a sample. It was a patch. Yeah. So he had Joe work yeah. on his dime. For days, he, Joe was full of chalk. I was white with chalk. And nowhere near. And then he went and 
and said to Job, now that you made all the mistakes, yeah. now I show you how you approach it the fast way. Yeah. And chip, chip, chip. Uh, uh, he just sat there. It was and, just incredible. And he had it in no time yeah. down to <laughs> no rocking the edges, but it was just chip carved. Yeah. Like, you do, yeah. like you would do a, a general carving, you know, you, you get the rough stuff mm -hmm. out, and then you go into detail. And so he showed in no time, he got further than Joe did in three days. Well, but but he paid for all of that learning. He did. He also did. was looking for a, you know a chapter in his book. <laughs> that's true. He uh, had to read it. <laughs> so yeah. so that was. But I also remember one time you were downstairs. I was working downstairs next to Peggy, and uh, Hans came in with a job, and said, "Okay, guys." When you're on your own, you have to make an assessment of your take in because it's going, you're going to have to look an instrument over and tell the customer what you think, what needs to be done, how much it would cost you now, and everything. And he kind of forced us to, to look at it instead of just saying, okay, here's a job, you do this, this, and this. You know, he on purpose said, one of these days, you have to do that. And I thought that was a really good thing because we felt, I felt insecure to, to, to um, make sure I see everything, you know. And one time, I remember I was working on a fiddle for the longest time, and then I realized that there was a little wing in the F, lower F flap missing, you know, a little triangle, little triangle. And I said, oh, my God, when did that happen, you know? And I repaired it really fast. And when I turned it in to Peggy and I said, oh, Peggy, you know, I don't Margaret. know when Margaret Chipman, you know, I don't know when this happened to me, uh, but I repaired it. And she said, oh, I didn't write it on the tag. It was missing and we were not supposed to repair it. So the customer got a free oh. repair. But, <laughs> but it taught me that sometimes you work on something yeah. and you don't see it all. You know, something, you know, yeah. maybe you have a blind side because you focus on something else, you know, and that can happen, you know, and and so Hans's thing was a good yeah. thing. But I think in general, I mean, the book is the book. I don't refer to it because we work there and, um, but, but, and there's things that I think Hans would be real happy to have found a way around. I know Renee was still using oxalic acid and bleach and, and his uh, cracks. Mm -hmm. And we were not using bleach, but we did use oxalic acid uh, on some of those things. Uh, and then when we went to the Smithsonian and uh, that we just, they just said, oh, a deionized water can, you know, maybe unzip some of this stuff. Since then, there's been a lot of people that there's a lot of detergents now, these, these, that, that yeah. are, this is when I say we're old fashioned, we just still clean with water. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily that's not an old fashioned idea. Yeah, old fashioned. I think that's it's smart <laughs> to start with the most conservative method first. Yeah, okay, we still use 1704. How about that for, for varnish? <laughs> Sometimes I mix some other yeah, yeah. stuff too. Yeah, but there were some approaches on, on crack retouch that to blend, I don't do like hunts anymore. Yeah. I mm -hmm. felt like there are times when you cannot hide everything and it's just time that we accept that 
like we get older and have crinkles mm-hmm. and don't have everybody's yeah. plastic surgery, you know, that we should accept that an instrument at that age yeah, would yeah. have some cracks. It's the, as it's, long as yeah. they're solid, they're solid back, they're clean, yeah, they're, they the, stay together. But just to make everything disappear actually at times does more harm. Yeah, yeah it's if the blue you, clay in the in the in the in, in the uh, the Grecian vase. You know, they used to uh, paint everything paint the guy's in. legs, and now they're saying, "Oh, it's missing. This is a missing bit. It's gone." You know, yeah. mm-hmm. but so, we can't do that. Yeah, there's the expectations are the expect they they're tools, but they they I mean look when we're making we're making for other violin makers we're I, I want you to look and say oh that's clever what they did there, um, but in the end we're just making a tool for somebody that's not going to look at it they're going to look at the music musicians never see half the stuff that that we do. They don't see what, but we're trying to show off to each other. I think that's what basically we do. Coming back to Hans's book, I I think he gave us a good stepping stone for people. That was his intent, that people, if they want to do it, then they should at least do it right, according to him. And that's what he said. The, he was giving a lecture that I helped with at USC when I first got there. Just I was just holding the projector or something. Uh <laughs> And I said, why, you know, because my first guy was, don't tell anybody these are secrets. And Hans was telling all of this stuff, you know, and, and I said, Mr. Weissar, why, why are you doing that? And he said, look, they're going to do it anyway. You might as well show them how to do it right. That's right. That was kind of his philosophy in a sense. Um, and sometimes you get permission. Uh, some of the things we've had to do, I mean, we had to make a complete inside patch to a, a Teckler cello once. Mm-hmm. And we did that because someone had already made a complete inside patch. Oh, okay. oh. So, yeah. So the original was just about a millimeter thick. Yeah. Barely. And exactly. so, so what are we, how, what are we going to do with this thing is going to be flopping around. We ended up, we went to the De Young Museum. We asked, what do you do with canvases? Well, we embed them down into thing and then we can replace the back. And we thought, okay, if we have a cast and the cat, if we correct the instrument before we cast and then we cast it and then we get that stuff out of there and then, and then we glue some paper uh, into the cast with just, with just tight bond. And we put some soluvar all over the, the varnish and we glue now the instrument down into this glue and paper. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's fine. And now let's fit the patch and now let's wait two months after we've glued it. I think Seagrin must have worked on that for, this is pre-CNC machine, probably two months. She's convinced she lost her sight doing yeah, it. Yeah. Just yeah. a big giant. You look pack. exhausted just thinking about it. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. And yeah. and honestly, I was thinking the other day. I don't know why I was thinking about it, because it it went to England and, and well. So so the end of that story is <laughs> yeah. we thought, oh, we can do that. And how do we get that out of the cast? Well, we don't have to get it out of the cast. All we have to do now is destroy the cast uh, and you destroy the cast down to the paper. And then you scumble the paper off, and now you've got some glue, but that's on top of solubar. And now you can you can take the solubar off with 
with uh, the lowest solvent. And it was like, oh, uh, so now this went. And, and we kept the inside solid. Yeah, it looked so, really good. So it looked so it really good. It was a full piece of back solid, yeah. so that it the the, yeah. the back was still protected. Yeah. And as we were working away the top, yeah. you know the cast, and very carefully, yeah. you know, made it as that it yeah, was. Yeah. So so it it did go to England. It, we it went back <laughs> to the owners, uh, and 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 then they sold it years later at an auction, and then John Dilworth wrote and said, you know, I saw your bridge on this cello. Perhaps you had something to do with it. And we said, oh, ah. Eckler? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And then we told him what we had done. Now, the, the auction company called and said, can you write all of that down, please? Because they they want to know. And we think yeah. that's important, you know, is, yes, sure. it, has sure. it was still a nice cello. Sounded great. Uh, it, the top was in quite good condition, and it took us uh, a long time to even find the appropriate piece that would match the wood. The wood. Yeah. And you found so, and, it, and it completely snowed. Up. It, it John Dilworth didn't see a thing, not a yeah. thing. But it would be uh, interesting <laughs> from for my own purpose to, to to now that we have all these modern ways to look through wood. Mm-hmm. No, you don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't think you want to see that. <laughs> I don't think. I think what I would want our to friend see. Francis Cutner once he was he was doing a repair at home and he came up and he put on the Becker checkers and he said, "Okay, here's a rule: if you don't use these glasses when you're doing the repair, don't look at the repair afterwards with these glasses." And it, <laughs> 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 okay, that's a good rule. <laughs> well, I would like to know what it how well the patch really was yeah. fitting you know that is to me yeah. my own for my own gratification is it really if you do such a big thing you have to think about uh, the well, place getting warm how to, how the, the glue hasn't escaped how much you put down yeah. you know how what changes yeah All but the whole idea it. also of we had to do that because somebody had already done oh, it yeah. and th- then that gets back to the just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. So would you say that's one of the worst trends in, well, not necessarily yeah. the last three decades, but of all yes. time, one of the worst trends is just because you can do something doesn't just mean you should. It's back to lowering the arch of a Pietro a Mantua. How about don't use that violin, get a different violin. You know, what, what makes you think that the yeah. arch makes it what it is, you know, just because you have a clever idea of, squishing it down um, and taking well, away original. Well, there was original. also somebody who, who brought an instrument in, uh, J.B. Gordagnini, with, um, uh, remember that? The Nashes? With, with it had yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a Rosa, and they wanted to, to well, because we, it was a wood rosa, they wanted to sand it. And like, we also re-varnished a guad that had been re-varnished that yeah. went to auction also. and It's good to be able to redo work that was done poorly. Yeah. Um, but, um, I don't know what you were just saying about like, just cause you can do something doesn't mean you should, you know, yeah. you're talking about like all these different things. And my thought was, well, it, it goes further back than that with all these people re-graduating Gornaries. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. Or, or cutting them smaller. Yeah. yeah and, making and, a smaller brush and yeah. Or taking gambas and turning them into small cellos and <laughs> all, we've seen it. We've seen so many things. And again, it reminds you that you might be the one that they talk about next. So so over the years, our patches started getting really amorphous 
instead of instead of the nice little ovals that we were taught, uh, we figured out a way of locking them in with just two with two studs instead of you know a little perimeter of things. Um, that really saved us an awful lot of time and assuredness of fit. More assured. Yeah. yeah. And and um, and if you don't need to, if you know, let's take this patch out. It went over here. Yeah, tough luck. Let's we don't need it wood there. You know, let's put it just where we need it. Uh, even crazy. I think you've been there when we had a, a kind of a smashing wood. Yeah. Uh, into a cast. Yeah. Uh, to to then uh, we would take a fat white uh, just the the soft grain of spruce that we would harvest and kind of crush that and then set that into an edge. Uh, and that works. Mm very nicely you haven't taken away anything you've you've replaced it with wood it's spruce it's not running the same way but it's still spruce uh and it's and it's uh uh, it's so much more respectful i think and 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 it's nice that i'm working with a partner who's trying also not to not to do something because we can but but with any of the repairs is uh, something, even if you do it now, the question remains, how durable is it in the end effect as it goes through a life with um, moisture changes back yeah. and forth at the musician mm-hmm. working? And and there, as, as well as we work, there's still, for me, the question is, how well does my repair really survive? Well, yeah. somebody can redo it if you and if you've it, left them room to move. Yeah. Definitely, then That's they can true. they can redo it in thirty years. That's it's, true. It's um, the, the worst that we do is repairmen. You know, that's they're still the worst. Uh, fighting that that guy guys before that just screwed things up. They're the ones who leave the really lovely repair labels in there. <laughs> they're, they're the ones. They're the ones that sign it. That's right. <laughs> Joe, one of the things that I got from you guys was we spend more and more time doing less and less. Yeah, more and more doing less and yeah. And when I heard you say that, I you know, I thought that was you know, I was I was younger, I was more impressionable than I am now. I mean, I've gotten kind of jaded, I guess. But you know, I thought that as, you know, we as in like everybody, but at the, t- the time I didn't realize it was that was a lot of you guys, you know, when you referred to we as you and Sigrun. I know. I think I was including everyone. Well, I was saying, uh, oh, okay, good repair people spend more time doing less. Yeah, more, more time doing less and less. Yes, that is, I, I, and I think, yeah, that's a that's a, it's not it's not our motto, but it's it's certainly what we found that we do, uh, and and I I think that's probably. A, I think also. Um, I remember Charles Beer, uh, you know, when they said, oh, we don't polish everything to high gloss, you know, like, you know, we, we like to have it more natural looking. And I thought, ah, looky there. Somebody That's else true. is thinking, you know, of not yeah. overdoing it, mm-hmm. not not splashing varnish over it and then give it the big rub, you know, so it really shines, you know. And And I think that was kind of the beginning, I think, where people started uh, thinking uh, a little bit outside the box. And then going to the Smithsonian and having them 
also respectful and saying, no, you can't do uh, Also or, admitting past... Past mistakes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we used, to, you know, we used to just strip them and dip them. It'd be a nice piece of furniture. Just get that stuff off there. Um, to the point that they would say, now we're looking at old paintings to see maybe what the artist saw in the reflection of the top of the table so we know what to put on it. That's maybe a little too far. Yeah. But, but that's the idea that they were... Uh, uh, also uh, rethinking their own. Thinking, yeah, yeah. yeah. With that Teckler, too, that's one of the ones where we made our crackle stamp, uh, which was fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, and looks, I, it's still pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and we did that because uh, probably 70% of the back of that Teckler had great varnish on it, and some of it was just gone. Yeah. Uh, and it and it needed top too. It yeah, was, there was, was areas in it and the ribs especially. Yeah, uh, and this this was a repair that we inherited. It had already been in a shop for sixteen years, so we got a lot of it. It arrived in pieces. Yeah, with it, us. Yeah, you know, and uh, we had to re. And and I'm sure the sixteen years was we spent eight years on it, but most of that was ignoring it. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think we all have things like that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, because when you repair something, I, you know, back to what you were saying about spending more and more time doing less and less, you know, I was just thinking about that where um, I feel like the planning, you know, the, the, the thinking through what you're going to do for the repair, choosing the wood. Oh, my goodness. Takes yeah, yeah. so long. Um, just all of the all of the preparation steps. Yeah. The, the more time you take and the more mindful you are, I feel like the the uh, more smoothly things tend to go. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Just the imagining how when you fit a piece, how when it, it will reflect and keeping that in mind as you work and finding the right piece in general, yeah. you know, that is a big part of your success. Even in retouching is how well you match the wood. Yeah. And, and, uh, and no matter what, you never, almost never do. And it, well, it's so hard. close. And then it doesn't have to be, <laughs> but just, yeah. a, just a wink away, you know, uh, yeah. something that, that Jerry, you were very helpful with you and, in, in uh, 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 um, I can't think of her name. Uh, Eliana. Elian. Um, Elian LeBlanc. Yeah. LeBlanc. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the little the the tiny bubbles as uh, as uh, the song goes scotch light yeah those that's an <laughs> it was amazing and then we kind of added to that I don't know if you ever saw I I ended up crushing a little bit of uh, I mean we had one worm channel on a flame and I ended up kind of crushing down some ingrain willow and, and glue sizing oh. it and then putting that in just below the, the final mm -hmm. field. So it's, so there's this, and it putting it in and letting it swell back into that, that channel uh, and then putting those bubbles on top of that. So there's, now you've got grain that's just underneath those bubbles. That's winking kind of the same way. And boy, we did this on this cello and it was very nice. And then, a, and then a great, great retouch. Um, but it was incredible. I want to, those are brilliant. So that whole idea of, 
of getting an idea. And Seagram tried one where she put thread down in there too, glue-sized thread, uh, just to kind of fill up that void because it seemed like filling up a whole worm void with with glue just was like, well, that's, or, uh, yeah, uh, you're asking for something to shrink and be bad soon. Yeah, um, and just, yeah it never feels good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even even uh, lycopodium kind of a paste. Yeah, anything, anything. It just doesn't. Yeah. It 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 it's it yeah. shrinks. It curves. And I felt like something that is flexible, that doesn't shrink, but holds it together. Um, I don't know how successful it is in the long run. You know, by, by but somebody else can tell. redo it because yes. we didn't take anything away to do it. Yeah, I think so, that so was that the, is that, that was is the fun idea. Part. Yes. But like I said, you know, there are new stuff on the market, you know, that is interesting. Even pre-fitting, oh, the, the amount I would have saved in time if I would have had something that could pre-work it. Yeah, like but, Jerry. <laughs> we just needed a Jerry. <laughs> and send it in the mail. <laughs> but, but at the same time, there's also something to be said to know as you work your wood, you know you would. You react to it. You work it, and yeah. And so, so you have a feel for the material you're using better than if you just have it. And there are still some hundred and two hundred year old repairs where somebody was very clever and did a yeah. really yeah. good job. And you just wonder what was the skill set of those those folks. I mean, I know. Uh, uh, you know, I came from, uh, I mean, I was older when I started, so I was out of, out of university when I, when I started, but I'd always monkeyed with my hands. Seagram was younger doing it, but neither one of us were 12, you know, or 10 in a violin shop. Um, and, and it's still incredible what some folks have done, you know, to the point of even fooling us now. Absolutely. Um, uh, hundreds of years later with with some some pretty sophisticated techniques of discovering you know yeah i don't for myself my adventures in technology i i do not view it as the end all be all uh as you said feel and knowing the material um i still think that 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 trumps everything it's true and a lot of times you know you talk about just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should um, there's a lot of times where I've found myself saying, don't get patch happy just because yeah. I can do this. It's not the right call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, a hundred percent agree with you guys. I, and I called you with a crazy idea about, cause there was one word and this one cello we had, there was one word that just went right down a flame. And I thought, you know, the ribs probably could be shorter anyway, and it already has a piece in there. You know, if we just kind of cut that out, that could fit right back in. And you said, oh, Joe, don't do that. <laughs> and it was just me. <laughs> it was just, well, here's well, an idea. No, not you know, here's another idea. And you said, <laughs> and I thought, oh, <laughs> again, uh, you're probably one of the few people, you, both of you, that could probably pull that off and get away with it. And for me, listening to somebody, I'm just going to cut this at a worm track. It's like, oh, nah. Yeah. Although I could, I could feel, I, I, I could feel, um, you know, what's the pucker factor yeah. got really high all of a sudden. 
And it's like, no, 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 don't do that. But, you know, if anybody's going to pull it off. But it's not a bad idea to have. This is why Seagrin is so good to have around mostly because I can throw a stupid idea out there and she can say, well, that's not going to work. And sometimes I'll stay with it, uh, which really pisses her off because then she's going to have to do it because I can't do it. Uh, and yeah, I can do a lot of stuff and I'm, I am, I have my talents, <laughs> but I also have my really good judgment and I know the best person for certain jobs is secret. So we're starting to run a little, little short here on time. And, uh, one, one last question for you guys to expound on, uh, with all you've, with all you've seen and with the way you might see things going, are you guys hopeful for the future as far as yeah. working on instruments? Those of us who you're hopeful. Yeah. 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 I think better That's jobs. Like your shortest answer. Better jobs are being done all the time. We've all, you know shops what? are more responsible now. Uh, uh, telling the truth mm-hmm. is now more, uh, you know, with the exception of a couple of politicians, with the exception of most politicians, <laughs> The, the uh, uh, most shops are, we're in the information age. Something's going to, something's going to fly back at you. If, and again, we don't, we have almost none of that to worry about because we don't deal in old instruments. We don't sell old instruments. We, we sell our instruments. Um, occasionally we'll sell an old instrument. Uh, but again, somebody gets a report card on what we've done to it and what we think the condition is. I also think, you know, when I realized that I don't want to do major restoration anymore, I also felt that there are some really good people yeah, out there. Yeah, there's good people. I'm very impressed with what I have seen yep. of some, and, 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 and I feel very comfortable to say I had my chances I had a really good run. We had a really yeah, good run. Yeah. Still, oh well, we're still running. Yeah. We still have yeah, something. Yeah. There's yeah. something nice in the shop again, but but for some small work. But essentially, we had, for as far out of the way we are, we had some bloody nice instruments. Yeah. And the opportunity to work on so many great instruments. And so I think... It's time for others to have that opportunity. Well, it's also especially if they're good. They should be thought, you know, yeah. should have that chance too. Well, not just a chance. Also, the 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 fact that that things are getting better. I think things are getting much better in our business. I really do. Uh, there's look. When I started, there was hardly anyone older than I was. There, the person. Next older than me was like 15 years older than I was. Uh, n- now there's 10 billion violin makers. Soon we're going to have that cross between, you know, how many violinists there are and how many violin makers there are. And we're just about ready to have that, that, that cross of one violinist per violin maker. But some very talented people. There should be more yeah. for schools, uh, for for, for technical schools, boy, somebody ought to be just drilling down hard on restoration, I think. Yes. Um, uh, more than they are. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of violins in the world. and, and uh, Well, it's, it's not sexy. 
it's really tough to say to somebody, what do you do? Oh, I'm a violin restorer. Yeah. And they start telling you about their, their uncle, John, who made violins, that's you know, right. and that's that to right. them is more interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> John was good in, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. Uncle John was good. I, you know, in, in, <laughs> I now feel that, especially as a German in Germany, I felt like, oh, you're just like any old Biden maker, you know, you're nobody. You hand know? worker. You're hand worker. worker. You, you don't have a higher education. You're, you're, you know, you're nothing, you know, uh, and, and it's very, I felt really like, especially as a woman, I felt like I would have been nowhere in, in Germany if I would have stayed in Europe. Well, the teachers told her that, you know, well. uh, Oh, yeah. uh, Roy said, why do we educate the little girlies? Ouch. The the Bavarian words, you know, they belong behind the stove. And when he said it to me, I was so (laughs) enraged. How could he, you know? Good motivator, by the way. And I just, (laughs) and it, it, to me, I felt like, yeah, if I would have stayed there, that would have been my future. Maybe. I wouldn't, but I was so fortunate with for Weiser to, to give that opportunity. And then I felt also that here in America, there was such an openness for educating. I mean, we had such a good a relationship with so many also of our colleagues, young colleagues. San Francisco was fantastic. It was like, we, we were all striving to be good and going forward. And sharing. And sharing. And mm. and it was, we were so proud about mm. it, you know, uh, in that young, enthusiastic community that we were. Uh, I mean, gosh, it was Kartner, you name it, uh, Gusset. Uh, there were all kinds of Everybody. great makers around us. And it spurred us on. And that was lovely. Yeah. And, yeah. and somebody like Hans to give us opportunities to. Um, to well, he also to, got something out of us. Yes. Uh, His word was. He got more information too. I think when he yes. let people off the leash a little bit, mm-hmm. I think he was also gathering. He was yes. getting stronger by, by doing that. I mean, if you tell somebody exactly what they're to do, there's not a lot that comes back, but if you let them do, then then maybe you're going to learn a thing or two also, you know. And it's, I think that's what he did. I'm yes. pretty sure he did that. Uh, he was uh, he still had his mind open. Yeah, he did um, to the end. Yeah, and and but what I remember him saying to to keep us me for for three years. He said, the first year I lose money on you, in the second year I break even. In the third year, I make money off you. <laughs> that was his <laughs> training. Us, you know? yeah. I'm not sure if that was true. I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful place to wrap this up at. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Uh, you guys sharing your thoughts on on the state of things. Your journey has been absolutely wonderful and. Uh, hopefully we can have you guys on again because this was an absolute trip. I know I'm sitting here in stitches and I think Liz is too. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is so, so incredible. Well, thank you. Getting the chance to meet you guys. Um, really, really fantastic. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. Gin and Tonic Friday. To Hans Weiser. To Hans. <laughs> <Well>, to Jim. <laughs> 
good educator. We'd like to give a special thanks to Learning Trade Secrets for supporting this episode of OMO. Learning Trade Secrets offers many hands-on workshops taught by the masters from our trade, right from their beautiful workshop in Ashland, Ohio. Hey, are there any restorers out there constantly perplexed by the mysterious layers of a proper retouch job? You will love the Retouching Varnish course with Stacy Styles this July 16th through 21st. Here you will have the opportunity to learn essential techniques as well as modern approaches to everything from matching color and texture to using UV light. And for those of you living in Bow World, well, there are deeper depths of knowledge to explore with David Orlin as your guide. Join him in the Intermediate and Advanced Bow Restoration Workshop taking place July 23rd through 28th. During this workshop, you will learn better practices for conservation, restoration, and specialized techniques for general bow repairs. Whatever you're hoping to learn, register for your workshop today. Level up your knowledge at learningtradesecrets.com. That's learningtradesecrets.com. This is 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 this we, we all have to push the boulder up the hill every day. We realized we did a lousy job of it only early the next morning. When we thought it was good, but then we realized it really wasn't good. But, you know, no one ever asked Sisyphus, so, you know, is this a torture? Because, you know, he's getting an upper body workout. He's getting his steps in. He's, he's not a gym member. You know, he doesn't have to be. He's a self-employed boulder pusher. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, I like that drive in me. It, it's uh, the the I'm good. No, I really suck. No, I'm good. No, no, you suck. Um, it's such a wonderful thing to have to keep you going forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that perspective. I think we all do that. Players do it too. Uh, they they have to. I think. You know, so it helps, but I think sometimes it helps having a partnership like ours, where um... <laughs> where she can tell me I suck. <laughs> Omo is an all luthier podcast produced by Rosie Deloach, Brandon Gottman, Jason Peoples, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples. Music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash omopod, where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out at mail at omopod.com or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening.